Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today we're going to do a special deep dive on the trade deadline. So we're going to go through all 30 teams. Some will be talked about more than others because some made more trades than others. I'm here with Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy, how are you doing? I am okay. Good to hear. All right, let's jump right in here and get started with the first team in alphabetical order, the Atlanta Hawks. So their big move came quite a bit before the trade deadline. They sent Kyle Korver to the Cavaliers for a 2019 first-round pick, Mo Williams and Mike Dunleavy. They waived Mo Williams almost immediately. And basically the haul of that trade for them was that future first-round pick. Corver is set to hit free agency this offseason, so they sort of wanted to cash in on that before they lost him for nothing. I gave this trade a C-, mostly because I think they could have waited a little bit longer, maybe tried to get a better offer, because this deal came long before the trade deadline. And I feel like if they'd waited a little bit longer, they could have maybe gotten some competition going rather than just shipping him off to Cleveland the month before the deadline. I think right after Corver was traded, the Hawks ripped like seven wins in a row, some of which against good teams. So, you know, with or without Corver, they were probably going to get hot. And they could have driven up the value on Corver just with that alone. But um, I guess they thought they were tanking, but then they started winning, but they made the trade anyways. And I don't really know. Yeah, definitely the move would have been to wait. The interesting part of this deal is that Mike Dunleavy has actually been playing pretty well for the Hawks, despite contributing very little to the Cavs, and that's, I think, made this deal look a little bit better in hindsight. And speaking of hindsight, it is a bit ridiculous that we're giving these trades grades about a day and a half after the trade deadline. Right. We haven't really seen much from these teams, but, you know, some trades you can sort of get at least some sort of handle on even before some of the players involved have played major minutes for the new teams. The Hawks also sent Mike Scott to the Phoenix Suns for cash. That move basically was just to open up a roster spot, get a little bit of salary off their books. Not really much there. It was good they managed to at least get Scott off their books. He hadn't really played for them at all. But that trade didn't really move the needle all that much. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who oh boy. made who made zero trades at the deadline. They were in talks for Jimmy Butler. They were in talks for Paul George. And I gave the Celtics a C minus. And the only reason that I gave them that low of a grade is that reports from Bulls beat writer Nick Friedel were that the Celtics never even offered the Brooklyn pick for Jimmy Butler. And I just feel like the Bulls would have been the prime candidate for that Brooklyn pick, given their depleted point guard rotation and the fact that two of the top three players in this upcoming draft and three of the top five players in this upcoming draft are point guards. Point guard is not a position of need for the Celtics. It is a huge position of need for the Bulls. And I think because of that, Danny Ainge could have gotten Jimmy Butler for honestly a pretty mediocre haul, I think, if he had put the Brooklyn pick in those discussions. But because he didn't, there was not really much traction on Butler sort of as the deadline wound down. But you had a lot more positive of a view on the Celtics moves at the deadline. So what are your thoughts on this? All right. Just so the listeners know, I am one of the Celtics writers for the website. So I have, I have a little rant that I need to go on. Before I do that, 
There were also reports that the Brooklyn picks were on the table for Paul George. I don't know if that means they were on the table for Butler as well. From what I heard, the Brooklyn pick was on the table for George, but not on the table for Butler, which I thought was strange in and of itself. It is strange. The Celtics are an organization where almost nothing leaks out of their offices, so you never know. But here's the rant I need to go on with no trades being made, because there's a lot of, I guess, predictable negativity from the sort of Boston media. It seems that the prevailing idea is that if we hold on to the picks, we go on this route of trying to ride the Isaiah Thomas train for as long as we can. People are saying by the time these picks become anything in the NBA, that the the so-called window that we currently have, for what, you know, whatever that means, they're saying that window would be closed because half the team would be old and gone which I think nobody has really thought through that statement, even though so many people seem to agree with it. So, my point with that being, in three years, all right, in three years, Isaiah's about 30, and a lot of our younger guys are going to be between 20, 25 to 29. Jalen Brown will have three more years in the league. This summer's Brooklyn pick will have three years, and the next year's, if we keep that, has two years. Al Horford, 34, as a veteran. LeBron James is 35 years old. In three years, that's what we're looking at. So this idea that the window might close because we didn't do anything, I think is totally false. You can't trade a potential top three pick and like three starters for Paul George who might walk in a year and a half. And then if you deal it all for Butler, it's a little better return because he's still got some more years on his contract, and I don't think Butler has an opt-out. But the deals just weren't there, so that's that's the rant I needed to get out of my system. Uh, as far as upgrading the bench, yeah, they could have upgraded the bench. Danny Ainge didn't do it because we couldn't get anyone that would space out the offense, which is true. I don't think anyone on the market could do that. So that's why I'm pretty optimistic. You know, there was potential for a great deal to be made, but it didn't happen, so I'm, I'm fine. So... Just to make sure we get it in there, you gave them a B-plus for the deadline, is that correct? Yes. All right, well, let's move from the team that you cover for Hashtag Basketball to the team that I cover for Hashtag Basketball, and also the team that is inextricably linked to the Celtics, at least for the next couple years, the Brooklyn Nets. So the Nets traded Boyan Bogdanovich and Chris McCullough for Andrew Nicholson, Marcus Thornton, who was immediately waived, and the Wizards' 2017 first-round pick. They also traded a top 55 protected second round pick, which will not convey, as anyone who looks at Brooklyn's record could tell, for KJ McDaniels in what was basically a salary dump for the Rockets. I liked the Boyan trade. I think it was helpful that the Nets managed to get an asset for Bogdanovich who on the one hand will be entering restricted free agency at the end of this offseason. But on the other hand, he's going to be 28 by the time the offseason rolls around. And he's been a useful scorer for the Nets, but he's going to be a lot more helpful to the Wizards as a bench scorer where his defensive struggles won't really matter as much as they did while he was playing for Brooklyn. So I gave them an A- minus overall, mostly because I'm a huge fan of the KJ McDaniels trade. They gave up basically nothing for a guy who was really impressive as a 21-year-old rookie and then just couldn't get minutes for the Rockets. I don't think that was as much his fault as the fact that the Rockets are a much better team than the Sixers, which is the team that he played for during the first part of his rookie year. And I think the Nets more closely resemble the Sixers of that day and age than they do the modern-day Rockets. And I think McDaniels could be really impressive if given the kind of role that he's probably likely to have for the Nets for the rest of the season. He's also under contract next season for a little over $3 million. And taking a flyer on him really didn't cost the Nets anything at all. They were on a salary floor before they picked him up anyway. And he could pan out really well for them. And if he doesn't, it's no skin off their back. So I was a big fan of the McDaniels trade. 
And I was a little upset that the Nets gave up Chris McCullough in the trade with the Wizards. I didn't really see why they needed to do that. McCullough hadn't played much at all this season, which if you're not getting minutes at power forward and the guy ahead of you is Anthony Bennett, that's concerning in and of itself. But he's very young. He was drafted two years ago, and I wasn't happy with the Nets giving up on him. But I think getting that first round pick from the Wizards certainly makes it worth it. Yeah. So I gave this a B plus, a little lower than your A minus, only because I just feel like on both sides of these trades, you have um, teams taking flyers on guys, so you never really know. But I am, I do applaud the Nets for getting a first round draft pick. I'd be, I'd be jumping for joy if I, if I were more of a Nets fan. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited for them that they, they have a pick. I'm really happy for you guys. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it doesn't really come off very kindly when a Celtics fan says I'm happy for the Brooklyn Nets. Anyway, moving right along, the Charlotte Hornets sent Roy Hibbert and Spencer Hawes to the Bucks in return for Miles Plumley. They also traded a top 55 protected second round pick to the Cavaliers for Chris Anderson and Cash. So I gave them a C overall, I think trading for a longer term contract in Plumley was a interesting move and they've desperately needed help at center since Cody Zeller's been out with injury and Hibbert and Hawes weren't really doing anything for them. The Anderson move was basically they picked up cash for allowing the Cavs to lower their luxury tax bill by getting rid of Anderson who's out for the rest of the year with an Achilles injury. But I mean this move really didn't change much for either side. I think the only concern with this trade is just that Plumlee's signed to such a long-term deal, and he's had a really poor year for someone signed to that kind of contract, but Hibbert and Hawes were doing somehow even less than Plumlee has this season, so I don't know. Didn't really change either team's fortunes all that much, but it is concerning that Plumlee's going to be there for a while. Yeah, I enthusiastically gave this trade a Y, which is not usually a letter grade, but Y is in why would either team do this? I just... I couldn't get over how many like mediocre big men could possibly be moved around in one fell swoop. Something about, you know, I like what I like what Milwaukee's been doing for the most part. I guess dumping Plumlee is, is fine for them, but Charlotte just can never get the front court help that they need. Now they have one of the Plumlee brothers. I just, I don't see it. I, I don't know. It just seems, yeah, like really mediocre for both sides. All right, let's move on to the Chicago Bulls who made... A very interesting trade as the deadline wore down. They sent Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second round pick in return for Anthony Morrow, Joffrey Laverne, and Cameron Payne. And I guess a lot of teams around the league are really big fans of Cameron Payne. There were talks earlier in the season that the Kings were considering sending Rudy Gay for Cameron Payne basically straight up. I was confused by that at the time. I'm confused by this move now. I think the Bulls gave up certainly the best player in the trade in Gibson, arguably the second best player in the trade in McDermott, and they also gave up a future draft pick. So I gave them a straight D. I just don't understand why they think so highly of Cameron Payne, and that's not to speak ill of Cameron Payne. He's just not played very much. He was out for most of the season with injury. He didn't play all that much last season, and... I guess I can understand this move, given that the Bulls aren't the only team that seemed really enthusiastic about Cameron Payne's future, but they gave up some really valuable assets for 
not that great of a haul in return unless Cameron Payne very quickly develops into a starting caliber point guard. Yeah, the Bulls have a lot of problems. I, I very generously gave this a C minus just because of the uh, the pain train enthusiasm. I don't. I haven't seen much of Cameron Payne, obviously, but I, I can't believe Chicago's even out of a draft pick after all of this. But basically, if you're gonna, I, I'll never like. It's always exciting if your team gets young players in return, right? Who could prove themselves to be something. But the Chicago Bulls, what they've done to themselves is they've sunk so much money into like Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. And they had some good backup pieces for their their stars, even though their stars didn't gel. But now their backup pieces are gone too. So this just leaves that that franchise in the weirdest place. Not to mention all the weird off court drama with coaches calling out, or no, sorry, players calling out coaches, and it's just such a circus. I don't. They, I just think they got strictly worse. That's the other thing that's really interesting to me about this move is once I saw this move, I just assumed, all right, Jimmy Butler's out the door because they traded away a starter and another guy who'd started a lot of games for them this season. I just assumed they were going full tank here, but they didn't. And now they're a worse team, I think, this year, almost certainly. And they're the seventh seed in the playoffs right now. So they're not going to fall far enough to get a really high draft pick. But this might be enough to knock them out of the playoffs, which I don't really get why you would sort of go halfway on the tank, but that's sort of what they did here. Let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we've already discussed both of their moves in reference to previous teams, but they got Kyle Korver for a 2019 first, Mo Williams and Mike Dunleavy, and they also had to swap their... 2017 first to Portland in return for their 2018 first just to allow themselves to trade that 2019 pick. They also sent Chris Anderson and Cash for that heavily protected Charlotte pick in a salary dump. I gave them a B plus because they're not going to use that 2019 pick. I don't think they're in contention until LeBron starts declining and until then their goal needs to be win now, win now, win now. And Corver has been on fire the last couple of weeks, and I think he could pull the Mario Chalmers slash Ray Allen and just have one game where he's just absolutely on fire. And, I mean, adding more three-point weapons around LeBron James is, I think, exactly the way to go, and Corver's one of the best at just shooting three-pointers and doesn't really matter what else he does because he does that so well. So I gave them a B-plus overall. I gave them a B-plus. Got a couple of things for this one. Number one is players who end up on a team like this Cavaliers team are just magically going to become better basketball players. That's how basketball works when you play with the best players in the world. It's happening with JaVale on the Warriors. Same thing with Zaza on the Warriors. You join the Cavaliers, whether you're Korver, whether you were Della Vadova last year, it's players like that. You play by LeBron. You're magically good at basketball. So I guarantee you, in a playoff game, Kevin Love's going to come back from injury. He's going to shoot 2 of 11, and Corver's going to hit like back-to-back-to-back threes in the third quarter or something crazy. All of a sudden, they're up 10. It's it's just what happens uh, because basketball is apparently scripted. So the other thing is I think it's totally worth it for them to make a move to win now because from my perspective, when the Celtics won their championship in 2008, every year you're like, oh, we could just make this one move. We could just make this one move, and the next year you don't win, but it's like we could just make this one move. And then all of a sudden you got Rasheed Wallace. Then the next year, you have like 38-year-old Shaq or something. And then then you have Jason Terry. You're just always making that one move to get that one guy because you know you can get back. So 
yeah, if you got to give up, you know, maybe a little bit of future stuff, you know, get one more good shot, add some depth with Corver. I think it's totally worth it. So I only gave them a B plus, but I think it's it's just the right move to make. All right, let's move on to the Dallas Mavericks. They got Nerlens Noel in return for Justin Anderson, a top 18 protected 2017 first round pick, which converts to 2017 and 2018 seconds if it doesn't convey. They also sent Andrew Bogut to the Sixers as part of that trade. Bogut is going to be bought out probably before this podcast goes up and will be looking to sign with a contender, presumably. I gave this trade a straight A. That top 18 protected 2017 first round pick, basically even if the Mavericks win every single one of their remaining games, it's still highly possible that that pick doesn't convey. So there's almost no way that this pick actually gets sent as a first round pick. So in essence... The 76ers gave Nerlens Noel away in return for a recent first-round pick who's actually older than Nerlens, and two second-round picks. So, again, I gave this trade a straight A. This is exactly the kind of center that the Mavericks have had success with in the past. Sort of a Tyson Chandler light type guy at this point who can cover for Dirk on the defensive end and just catch lobs on the offensive end. I think this is a great move for them. They gave up very little and got someone who, at times, has shown flashes of being a elite, elite defensive player. I cannot believe that pick is protected still. I gave this trade an A2 for Dallas. It's just a total home run for them. You got to give them credit because, you know, sometimes we just, well, pretty much all the time we look at these trades at, at their face value, but someone had to devise, like it was somebody's idea to call Philly offer them nothing and get Nerlens Noel in return and it worked. You just got to give you got to give credit for that. I yeah, I just can't believe that pick's protected. Uh, I hope, you know, Noel can settle in for the long run and we can see Dallas maybe build something. Yeah, I I, I have no there's no flip side to this. Just a great deal. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Denver Nuggets. They traded Yusuf Nurkic and a first round pick for Mason Plumley and a 2018 second round pick. They also picked up Roy Hibbert for a top 55 protected second rounder. That basically was just to get them to the salary floor. I gave the Nuggets a C- minus for this, and the reason for that is I don't understand why the Nuggets thought they needed Mason Plumley. I think the justification for it is that he is similar enough to Jokic that they can have him come off the bench behind Jokic and not really lose much in the passing department because Plumlee is a really, really solid passer. But the Nuggets are an awful defensive team, and Mason Plumlee struggles on the defensive end. And I think Yusuf Nurkic is a more valuable piece for the future than Plumlee is, especially since Plumlee will hit restricted free agency at the end of this year and is probably going to get a sizable contract from someone. So given that Nurkic is arguably the more valuable asset long term, I don't know why they had to give up a pick in addition to him just to get back a guy who at best is a backup for them. Yeah, I gave this a C. Apparently Nurkic was in happy with riding the bench so if you got to dump a player you got to do it but yeah i don't understand how it was denver that's somehow out of a draft pick in this deal and you're right about Plumley's defense i think maybe you always hope that a player in a new system can pick up some new tricks but i'm um, watching the celtics play against portland portland just doesn't stop the ball they have a lot of great players but they don't stop the ball at all so and you know denver 
can use him. That's not a very bold statement, though. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't understand how you would lose a pick out of this. So, kind of a lateral move, but you lose the pick, so it's bad. Well, to clarify, both teams actually gave up a pick in this. It's just that the Trailblazers gave up a second rounder and the Nuggets gave up a first rounder. Oh, I see now. Anyway, let's move on to the Detroit Pistons. They were supposedly in talks about maybe moving on from either Andre Drummond or Reggie Jackson. They didn't end up moving either guy. I gave them a C for the deadline. I mean, they're in the eighth spot in the East. It might have been nice for them to add someone to sort of make sure that they can guarantee themselves a playoff spot. But Milwaukee is three behind them in the wins column, and they're probably not going to play as well down the stretch of the season because they're going to be missing Jabari Parker. So not really much to say here. They didn't make any moves. Maybe they could have gotten a great offer for Andre Drummond, but didn't come through, so they didn't make any moves. No real skin off their back. Right. I would agree with your grade of the C. Sometimes with these middle-of-the-pack teams, it just kind of feels like you kind of want to move on from everything that they're doing. Not that their players are bad. It's just like put a roster together and it didn't win. What I think the Pistons tried to do is um, sort of recreate to the best of their ability what uh, Stan Van Gundy had when him and, and Dwight went to the finals. 2009, I believe. And, you know, they have a fantastic center and Drummond and everything, but they, they still have a roster that's built for 2009. And now we're playing at a time where you run, at the bare minimum, you probably have four guys behind the arc, and, and you they, they don't really have that kind of depth uh, on the wings. So they built a roster for seven years ago, and they don't win much. So so it goes. I don't know. As far as trades go, I don't know what they could get for Jackson. But, yeah, they don't they didn't really need to do anything. But, um, you know, they're the middle of the pack for a reason. Moving on to the Golden State Warriors. They didn't make any trades. They didn't need to make any trades. They're doing just fine. I gave them a C because that's average, and they didn't do anything. Didn't hurt themselves. Didn't help themselves. Not much going on there. Yeah, I question their depth, but it seems that they're so good that it doesn't matter. So B minus. All right, moving on to the Houston Rockets, who did make a couple of moves. They traded Corey Brewer and a first-round pick to the Lakers for Lou Williams. They also traded Tyler Ennis to the Lakers in a separate trade for Marcelo Huertas, who they waived. Basically, that move was to give them an extra roster spot so they can get into the buyout market. I gave the Rockets an A- minus because they not only managed to get Lou Williams for what will probably be somewhere between the 27th and 29th pick, but they also got rid of Corey Brewer, who's got another year on his contract and really has not been a rotation caliber player for the past couple of years. Yeah, Brewer's just so clumsy, but uh, yeah, Lou Williams is perfect for the Mike D'Antoni offense. Catch the ball, shoot the ball, jog back to the other side. Love it. Marcelo Huertas, I don't really know, to be honest. Lou Williams is perfect. Yeah, so just for the record, I gave them an A-, and you gave them... I said B+, slash A-, just because... Uh... <laughs> I, I wasn't totally sold on it, and then Lou Williams just goes out for like 27, so it's like, all right, you can have the A-. minus. They might have the top two finishers in the Sixth Man of the Year award race, which I think is hilarious. But moving on to the Indiana Pacers, they did not make any moves at the trade deadline, and I gave them a D-plus for that, and that sounds very harsh, but the reason for that is... Paul George has publicly stated that unless he believes the Pacers are in championship contention, he will sign with the Lakers in the 2018 offseason. And from my angle, when you hear something like that from your star player, you need to do one of two things. You need to either move him for the best offer that you can find, or 
at least get him some help so that he can convince himself that you might be in championship contention going forward. And the Pacers did neither, and the clock is ticking on the Paul George era. They will have basically this offseason and then the trade deadline next year to convince him to stick around. And if they don't, they lose him for nothing. Yeah, you got to go all in or go home, I think, with this. And you're right that the window's closing. I would have taken the Brooklyn picks and ran if I were them. But yeah, now the, the value on him goes down and he probably leaves. So that's that's that. <laughs> and you gave them a C-, correct? I did give them a C-. Uh, they, yeah, they, they needed something. All right, moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers. They did not make any moves at the trade deadline. There was a lot of talk surrounding them trying to make a trade for Carmelo Anthony. There was also a little bit of talk that they might consider trading Blake Griffin. The Celtics supposedly had an offer on the table, but... In recent days, both Blake and Chris Paul have expressed a desire to re-sign with the Clippers this offseason. The Clippers are also barely under the hard cap, so there really was not much that they could do in terms of trade talks. So I gave them a C. If they'd managed to convince the Knicks to trade Carmelo Anthony for an Austin Rivers and Flotsam package, as was rumored in the days before the trade deadline, I would definitely have given them an A, but they didn't make that move, and there really weren't any other moves that they could have made that might have helped them out, so perfectly average trade deadline, C grade for them. Yeah, if I know anything about Doc Rivers, it's that he will gladly take his big three and roll players if he'll march into the playoffs as far as they'll go. Injuries or no injuries, they're they're a little further back than a top-tier team being one injury away from letting the Clippers slip in. But, you know, being competitive for a few years in a row isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's still attractive to players and fans. So, yeah, I don't know. They, uh, I gave them a C. They didn't need to do anything, but because they didn't do anything, they're not really in contention. So... Exciting team that's not going to win. There's nothing wrong with that, even though fans hate it. Moving on to the other Los Angeles team, and we've actually already discussed both of their trades because they were both with the Houston Rockets, and I gave the Lakers a C plus because Lou Williams was not going to help them lose games, and they need to lose games to hold on to their top three protected pick in this upcoming draft. I don't like that they got Corey Brewer because... His $7 million salary is also on the books for next year, which makes their free agency a little bit more difficult. But they got a first-round pick for a guy who was helping them win games, which is expressly not what they wanted to do. Yeah, I gave them a C. They got a pick, and, you know, like you said, they can't really pounce on free agency, or at least they don't have as much flexibility for it. Basically, they have a pick, and they're going to use that and work from there. So it's, it's a C sounds harsh, but it, it, there's, you know, it all kind of depends on what that pick turns into. So see what Magic Johnson can do with that. Moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies, who didn't make any trades, and they're solidly in the sixth seed at the moment, but they're only a game and a half behind the two teams in front of them, the Jazz and the Clippers. So I gave them a C. They didn't really need to make any moves, and they didn't. So not much to report there. Yeah, I gave them a C plus. Uh, just hopefully they get healthy and go on a run. If I were them, I wouldn't move anyone. All right, moving on to the Miami Heat, who did not make any moves at this trade deadline. And I gave them a C minus for that, mostly because I would have liked for them to sort of declare what direction they were going in by either trying to make a trade to potentially get into playoff contention Surprisingly, they're actually not that far out of the 8th seed right now, and given that I think Chicago is about to go into freefall, they might honestly have a shot at sneaking into the 8th seed. 
So they could have made a move to win. Alternatively, they could have decided that win streak was a total fluke. There's no way we're going to be that good of a team for the rest of the season. Let's try and trade Goran Dragic for assets while we can and go into the rest of the season looking to see what we have in our young players. And they didn't do either. And I think C- is a little bit harsh just because, you know, there might not have been any good moves on the table for Dragic. But I feel like they should have done something just to sort of clarify what they're looking to be this season and what they're looking to do going forward. Yeah, I gave them a C because Miami's biggest mistake this year, honestly, was winning basketball games. I I do like their players. I think they have a great coach and all that. But this year started off as just a no-brainer for them. Lose a ton of games, walk into a loaded draft, and hope for the best. You know, sometimes you hate doing that, but this, this was the year to do that. And all of a sudden, they're finding themselves kind of hobbling into a playoffs with a not-so-cohesive team. So, yeah, I would give them, well, it's a trade deadline grade. So they get a C, but uh, they they got to figure out. they got to do some soul-searching. All right, moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. They sent Miles Plumley to the Charlotte Hornets in return for Roy Hibbert and Spencer Hawes. They then later shipped Hibbert to Denver to get rid of his salary themselves and help Denver reach the salary floor. I gave him a B because... Milwaukee's center rotation, other than Greg Monroe, isn't really all that stellar, and Miles Plumlee still wasn't getting minutes, and they signed him to a four-year, $52 million contract this offseason. They got rid of that, and I think that will really help them going forward, especially since, given that their core at this point is pretty well established as Giannis, Jabari, Chris Middleton, and whoever else they can get around them, their best years are ahead of them, so giving themselves some flexibility and recognizing that Plumlee was a sunk cost and moving on from him when they did was, I think, really smart of them. Yeah, I gave this trade a why on both ends because I I didn't know why they would do it. I agree with what you said. It's just I hate watching Spencer Hawes play basketball, so I hope Milwaukee doesn't have to do them for too long. Hawes used to pack the stat sheet back in the day, but ever, ever since I've seen him in the past couple of years, he's always like chucking threes and yeah, I don't know. So kind of a, a like like I said on the other end of the deal, just a mediocre move, I think. But uh, Milwaukee's going to be okay. All right, the Minnesota Timberwolves made zero trades. They were reportedly in talks to send Shabazz Muhammad to the Wizards. That didn't work out. I think that might not have worked out because they decided they wanted Boyan Bogdanovich instead and gave up that first-round pick that Minnesota was probably looking for. They were also in talks to swap Derrick Rose for Ricky Rubio. I thought that would have been an incredibly stupid trade for the Timberwolves, so thankfully they didn't make it. So they get a C, they didn't mess anything up, and they didn't get anybody either, so not much there. Yeah, I gave them a C, but uh, I'm going to upgrade it to a B just because they didn't tear their team apart. They almost lost a pick, I think, too, in the if they had traded Rubio. So uh, good job, Minnesota. Moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans. They picked up DeMarcus Cousins and Omri Caspi, who they actually waived earlier today after he broke his thumb in his first game for them. But they sent Buddy Heald, Tyreek Evans, whose contract expires at the end of this year, Langston Galloway, whose contract also expires at the end of this year, a top three protected first round pick this year, because, you know, just in case that pick actually manages to be good, they want to make sure they hold on to it, and a 2017 second round pick. And I gave their trade deadline an A+. And I don't think there's really any other grade you can give for a team that acquired arguably the best big man in the league 
to pair with Anthony Davis for basically Flotsam. And there have been a lot of talks since Anthony Davis sort of became the monster that he is now about how people were worried about his future because the Pelicans didn't really have a path to add another star player alongside him. And yet they managed to get that star player for not all that much. Yeah, this trade is so obviously good that I'm just going to um, talk about how exciting but intriguing the Pelicans are right now. Because right now they're the only front court. Well, I guess the Pistons are kind of front court heavy with Drummond, but they they have they're really front court heavy in a league that is spreading the floor. So they're the only team that's really built this way, and all they really have to facilitate is is Drew Holiday. So of course, a plus 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 trade. It's going to be an interesting experiment to see what they can do with some mediocre wings, Holiday, and like the two best bigs in basketball. So yeah, this is this is definitely as far as like league pass power rankings go. I think Pelicans are number one. Let's see if this like weird composition of a team can be successful. I am really hoping that they manage to figure out the DeMarcus and Anthony Davis-led offense quickly enough to climb into that eight seed, because a first-round series between these guys and the Warriors is pretty much the only thing I can imagine that would make any first-round series with the Warriors interesting. And not only would that be an interesting series, that would be an awesome series, because the one thing that the Warriors can't really defend is a low-post scoring big man, and the Pelicans now have, I think, honestly, the two best big men in basketball, as you said, and watching those guys go up against the Warriors is just going to be such a joy to watch, and I really hope that happens. Moving on to the New York Knicks, they traded no one, and I gave them a C-. minus. I think that's a little unfair, because they didn't do anything. They certainly didn't make any mistakes, but... After everything Phil Jackson has said about Carmelo Anthony, the fact that they just held on to him, and also the fact that they didn't get anything for Derrick Rose, who I'm 99.9% sure will not be re-signing with the Knicks this offseason, I just would have liked them to do something, and they didn't. Yeah, I went C-2. minus I think the Knicks should clean house. I don't know, moving Carmelo would be difficult, but any opportunity to move Rose, I think you just take it. I don't care who you get back. I don't care if you get second-round picks back. I would just dump Derrick Rose. Just try to get some sort of foundation for Porzingis to sort of grow, because what you could have with him, this example goes out the window now, but we've seen, like, I was going to compare it to Boogie in Sacramento and Anthony Davis in, uh, in New Orleans, but they're teammates now, so it's a terrible example, but that's could be what we're looking at with the with Porzingis in New York. So I would hate for that to happen to him for a few years. So clean house, get assets, get some good young players, keep the good ones, don't resign the bad ones, yada yada. But they didn't do anything, so it's just gonna be just gonna be weird in New York for you know another few years probably. Yeah, I totally agree that they should have gotten whatever they could for Rose, and I think the main reason for that is just that Rose is a terrible fit alongside Porzingis, and literally every single thing that the New York <laughs> Knicks do should revolve entirely around Kristaps Porzingis. Oh, yeah. So not doing that is a bit of a minus in my book. Moving on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, they made the aforementioned trade with the Bulls, where they gave up Anthony Morrow, Joffrey Laverne, and Cameron Payne, and in return they got Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a 2018 second round pick. And I gave them an A minus because their biggest weaknesses this season have been outside shooting and starting power forward. They got a starting power forward in Taj Gibson, who is going to allow DeMontis Sabonis to come off the bench. He's been impressive so far for a rookie, but I just think 
having him be a starter on a playoff team was a little bit much to ask for him this season. So they're replacing him with a guy who's proven that he can be a solid starting power forward for a playoff team in Taj Gibson. And they also got Doug McDermott, who I think will play really well alongside Russell Westbrook. And granted, they did give up their best shooter, probably, in Anthony Morrow, but he hadn't been able to see floor time for them. And they also managed to get a pick out of this deal, despite, in my opinion, getting the two best players in this trade. Yeah, without a doubt, Oklahoma City got the better end of the trade. I only gave them a B, just because they got, like, bench players, so I kind of saved the higher grades for, for bigger trades. But here's what I will say. Russell Westbrook, as of late, is not really in the MVP race if OKC is in sixth place. Now he's got a little bit of backup, namely the shooting that he needed. If they can creep up maybe to, you know, fourth, maybe third in the standings again, he's back in there. So that's the most exciting part of this, to be honest. I don't think Oklahoma City makes it over the, the peak of, you know, Golden State, San Antonio, and Houston, but um, could get Russell an MVP, so they got that. Moving on to the Orlando Magic, they sent Serge Ibaka to the Toronto Raptors for Terrence Ross and a 2017 first-round pick. I gave him a C-, and I think a lot of people rightly think that this trade was a pretty poor return for a guy who, at the beginning of this season, they sent Victor Oladipo and a lottery pick who turned into DeMontis Sabonis for Ibaka, and now they're getting a late 2017 first, and Terrence Ross, who's not as good as Victor Oladipo in return. But the reason I gave them a C- minus is because the first trade already happened. There's nothing they could do to undo that, and they learned over the course of the season that their front court just was not going to work, and Aaron Gordon's long-term position is pretty definitively power forward at this point from what we've seen this season during his minutes at small forward. So the Magic managed to find a buyer for Ibaka and get a first-round pick back. He almost certainly wasn't going to re-sign with them in the offseason. So even though the initial move was pretty bad, that wasn't part of the trade deadline, and to at least get something for him in return, I think, was helpful for them. Yeah, I gave this a C- minus as well, and I agree that Orlando, we might as well get some return as opposed to no return. But um, it's just so hard to ignore all the context uh, in regards to the Magic. They've shipped out so many players and gotten so little in return for them. Yeah, it's just the basically sort of the front court with um, trying to shoehorn Aaron Gordon into a position he doesn't play. And you get two centers and you have no guards. It's like a really bad Pelicans team, I guess. So yeah, C-. minus. All right, let's move on to the Philadelphia 76ers. And they sent Nerlens Noel away for two second-round picks this year's and next year's. They made it a top-18 protected first-rounder, I think, in parts that they could say to the media, hey, we got a first-round pick in return for him. And Justin Anderson, who is older than Nerlens Noel, I gave them a D-. minus. This trade was just... It just makes me sad that Sam Hinkie got forced out of Philadelphia because this was an awful deal and whatever negative things you want to say about Hinky, a lot of them are justified, but he would not have given up on an asset like Noel for this little. And they traded the better of their two big men that weren't getting minutes. They picked Noel over Jaleel Okafor. I think the only reason why they did that is because nobody wanted to trade for Jaleel Okafor, or at least that's the only justification I can think of. But I have to think they could have found a better offer than this because this is just nowhere near return value for a 22-year-old center who was 
the presumptive number one overall pick in his class before he was injured. And he's shown since that injury that it hasn't sapped him of his athleticism. I just don't get why they did this. I feel like if this is going to be the return, you might as well just hold on to him for the rest of the season. Joel Embiid is going to be out for a while with his injury. Ben Simmons, it was recently declared, will be out for the rest of this season. And there's no reason not to hold on to Noel, even if you know you can't re-sign him, if all you're going to get is a couple of second-round picks and basically a throw-in in Justin Anderson. Yeah, I mean, even if Noel walks, I feel like Philly can benefit just from having a big man with a pulse if Embiid whose injury right now is supposedly not that bad, so we could expect to see him again. If Embiid comes back, I mean, he's still going to be on limited minutes. You know, wins and losses aren't that big a deal. But yeah, just to have, basically just to have a team and to play competitive basketball games is, is pretty beneficial for young players. And having Nerlens out there to uh, work with McConnell, work with, well, he only played like six minutes with Embiid or something this year, which is crazy. But yeah, it just doesn't make, the return is bad. Obviously, it doesn't make sense. I gave it a D. And like you said, I feel terrible that, Sam Hinkie was fired, so Colangelo can can come in and wing it. So um, the other thing is, the Sixers were supposedly interested in Avery Bradley, and that report didn't come out until after Noel was dealt. So I don't I don't really know what the deal with that is, but um, yeah, bad deal. Yeah, you pointed out that Noel and Embiid, so they've actually played a grand total of eight minutes together, Ooh. and that's the other thing that really frustrates me about this trade. They didn't even try. Like, granted, they've seen what a Noel Okafor front court looks like, that didn't work at all. They've seen what a Okafor Embiid front court looked like, that didn't really work all that great either. And all three of those guys are center, first and foremost, but Embiid can shoot, and Noel is a very, very good player. I don't think I've emphasized that enough somehow. And they played eight minutes together. And if this is all you're going to get in return, why don't you at least try to see what they can do together? Because clearly you don't have any evidence either way about how that pairing is going to work. The Sixers also traded Ersan Ilyasova for Tiago Splitter and a couple of second round picks from the Hawks. Ilyasova has actually been pretty solid for the Sixers since they acquired him from the Thunder a couple games into the season. Tiago Splitter has yet to play this year. I don't think he will play this season. He's been struggling with a calf injury, and his contract will expire at the end of the year. Philly also got a couple of future second-rounders in the deal. I think that was more just to free up time for Saric than anything else, but not really a major ground-shaking move, despite the fact that Ilyasova had been playing decently well for them. Moving on to the Phoenix Suns, they got Mike Scott for cash, didn't really change their outlook much. The big move they did make was sending P.J. Tucker to the Toronto Raptors for Jared Selinger and a second-round pick this year and next year. I gave him a C plus because P.J. Tucker's contract expires at the end of this season, and the Suns have the second-worst record in basketball. There's absolutely no reason for them to hold on to him, so getting literally anything at all in return for him is a good move for them. And there was talk that maybe Tucker could have been moved for a first-rounder. I'm not sure I'd buy that. The only reason I gave this a C-plus and not a higher grade is just because 2017 and 2018 second-round pick from the Toronto Raptors, those picks are probably going to be in the high 40s, maybe low 50s. So at that point, it's really not all that different from looking at the undrafted rookie free agent market. But it's something, and Tucker was almost certainly going to walk and at least they managed to get a return for a guy 
whose contract was going to expire at the end of the season. And for a team that wasn't really going to win anyway, I don't really see the downside there. Sullinger reportedly is going to get waived. So I guess they just sort of did that for salary matching purposes. But, you know, they didn't get much, but at least they got something. Yeah, I gave it a C plus too. This is basically just the dirty work of being at the bottom of the standings. You clear out space. And I, I don't know, draft picks are always interesting, even if they're in the second round. I'm kind of biased because Isaiah Thomas plays for the Celtics. But, um, yeah, you never know. Pretty pretty standard stuff, I guess, for a bottom team. All right, moving on to the Portland Trailblazers. They swapped their 2018 Cleveland first for a 2017 Cleveland first, and then they got Yusuf Nurkic and a first-round pick for Mason Plumley and a future second-round pick. And I gave them a B- minus because I think taking a flyer on Nurkic is a really smart move for the Trailblazers because they need a big man who can theoretically protect the rim and Nurkic at least has the potential to do that whereas Mason Plumley had not really shown all that much in that department and getting a first round pick as well I think is a real positive for them we'll see what happens with Nurkic he's known to be moody he basically forced his way out of Denver because he wasn't starting and maybe that blows up in their faces but honestly they got the first round pick in this deal as well so I think this was basically a no-brainer for them. I mean, I think they got the better end of the deal, and they got the younger player with at least the potential of being the kind of big man that they'll need going forward. Yeah, I, I gave it a C-plus just because I, I do agree that they got the better end of the deal. I'm not convinced that Portland actually got better, though. Basically, I'm really low on, on Nurkic. But I do give Portland credit, just as a team. They're always at least sort of competitive, even though I think four out of their five starters walked last year. They went and got Turner. They made a trade here. They're always making moves, so I credit them for that. Trade a little, a uh, little bit of upside maybe, but um, not much going on. So C plus. All right, moving on to the Sacramento Kings, and I really don't want to discuss their trade deadline, so just go ahead. All right, we have Demarcus Cousins, Nomri Caspi four, Buddy Heald, Langston Galloway, Tyreek Evans. And top three protected 2017 first and a 2017 second. You gave this a frowny face and I gave it three question marks. Man, okay, I'll give this my best shot because you, you really can't... Sp speaking Kings is like another language at this point. Trade rumors have surrounded DeMarcus Cousins for at least three years, maybe four. Not his whole career there, but after a while people are saying, get this guy out, get him on a competitive team, build around him, do something. So given given that, you would expect... A really good return for him, maybe. This obviously is not that. If you look at it as sort of a glass half full, they got Buddy Heald, so they sort of traded him for a lotto pick, you know, which is which is what it is. But with with just you know, the, the Celtics weren't interested, so I gotta I gotta remind myself that that's really off the table. But um, I'm I'm shocked that there was no. Well, actually, we we do know that there was a better trade out there because because I I don't know how to pronounce his name. Vlade is that how it? Vlade Divac. Vladi Divac. Vladi Divac. Uh, he said literally right after the trade, he goes, oh yeah, we got a better offer like two hours ago. So maybe one day we'll get to learn what that is. But um, I think the bottom line of this is Vlade is a huge Buddy Heald fan. So it almost doesn't even matter when you're dealing with the Kings what they were offered. It just doesn't matter. You have to forget what you know about basketball. They love Buddy Heald. They got Buddy Heald. Cousins is out. It's hard to even speak intelligibly about it. They got what they wanted. So... Hooray? My only, and I want to emphasize only here, 
My only hope as a Kings fan is that all of the most negative rumors about DeMarcus Cousins as a teammate are true, because otherwise I just don't see why on earth this was A, the best offer they got, which Vladi already admitted it wasn't, <laughs> but more to the point, why they would make this move now when they could move him on draft day, when they could move him at the trade deadline next season. You know, there were other times where they could have looked to trade him after this, and if this offer is all they could get, this is just making me sad. Let's move on to the San Antonio Spurs, who did not make any moves at the trade deadline. Sort of a similar situation to the Warriors in that they're ridiculously good. They didn't really need to do anything. They're very solidly locked into their place as the second best team in the West and the second best team in the NBA. There was no need for them to make any moves. They didn't make any moves. I gave them a C. They didn't do anything. There was no need to. Not much to see here. Yeah, when good teams continue to be good and they don't make trades for no reason, I bumped the grade up to a B. Good job. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Toronto Raptors, who traded Terrence Ross in a 2017 first-round pick for Serge Ibaka, and then sent Jared Sullinger and two second-round picks this year's and next year's to the Suns for P.J. Tucker. I gave him a straight A. I considered giving them an A+. Masai Ujiri is an absolute wizard. The Raptors needed a power forward. They got a power forward in Serge Ibaka, who also can shoot threes and maybe has the potential to recover some of his incredible defense from a few years ago with Thunder. And he hasn't really been the same player the last two years. It wasn't just this year in Orlando where he wasn't as great on defense, but he's still an above-average defender, and he's a lot better than running out Pascal Siakam. And the P.J. Tucker trade was just incredible for them. I mean, they gave up a guy who wasn't going to play in Sullinger. They gave up two picks that, as I said when we were talking about the Suns, probably going to be in the 40s or 50s, and they got a guy who's an elite defensive player who can match up with LeBron. They didn't really have anyone on this roster who could do that before this. And yeah, I mean, they got really, I think, everything they could have hoped for. I think at this point, and you have every right to yell at me for this, but I think at this point, they've solidified themselves as the second best team in the East, and maybe this gives them enough to challenge the Cavaliers. But either way, the hole that they were able to get for really honestly not all that much just shows why Masai is one of the best GMs in the league to me. Yeah, so I gave this trade an A, mostly because the sheer amount of value given up for what they got in return is very, very good. They won both trades. But th this is sort of the, the Celtics bias creeping in maybe, but I, I do want to say this. The, the Raptors are going into win-now mode. They're giving up a little bit of their future to do so, something the... The Celtics have sort of cautioned against doing. And with a Kevin Love injury, the East, I do think, is blown wide open. Between the Celtics, Wizards, and the Raptors, any of those three teams, I think, have not a good shot at beating Cleveland, but they have a legitimate shot at beating Cleveland. I think way crazier things have happened. So the, the Raptors are going all in. I just feel like they taking a headstrong approach like this could sort of backfire if it doesn't amount to much. But obviously with most trades and, the, you know, the length of contracts and all that, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing. It's obviously a good deal in the short term. There, there's, I, I don't predict that there will be much negative happening, but I think it's worth considering that um, going all in at a time like this is really risky. To be fair, though, I think with the Kevin Love and J.R. Smith injuries, and granted, J.R. Smith is reportedly pretty close to returning, so maybe that won't be a factor, but... 
I think if there's any year that the Raptors are going to have a chance to knock off the Cavs, it's going to be this year, especially since Kyle Lowry is a year younger than LeBron, but LeBron doesn't age like a normal human being, and Kyle Lowry presumably will age like a normal human being. So this year might be the best chance that they have, and they got a couple of rentals for very little, and they pushed all their chips into the center of the table, and it might not mean all that much, because even if they do manage to get past the Cavs, they're going to hit the Warriors or the Spurs, and that's basically game over. But I think the Toronto fans would be ecstatic if they made it to the finals. I think they'd honestly be really happy if they just made it back to the conference finals and gave Cleveland a decent run at it, and they didn't give up very much to do so. So two really solid moves from them. Moving on to the Utah Jazz, there were talks about them potentially moving Derek Favors. They were also rumored to be one of the teams interested in Lou Williams. Didn't end up trading Favors. Didn't end up getting Lou Williams. They didn't really need to do all that much. I mean, they're pretty solidly in the 4-6 to six range in the West, which is really pretty bunched up right now. But they maybe could have found a move that would help push them ahead of the Clippers and guarantee themselves home court advantage. But either the 4 or the 5 seed is going to run into the Warriors in the second round anyway. So I wouldn't give up much in terms of assets if I were the Jazz at this deadline. The one potential knock against that is that they have a lot of room under the cap somehow. So they could have basically picked up a guy in a salary dump, but we have no idea if those sorts of offers were on the table. They certainly didn't make any dumb trades. And if you're a playoff team in the middle of the Western Conference, I think that's pretty solid GMing right there to not mess anything up in the stretch run of the playoffs. Yeah, the Jazz did pretty well in free agency over the summer. Um, so if I'm a Jazz fan, I'm pretty happy. Uh, I would want them to wrestle the way home court, maybe grab the fourth seed. But yeah, they're fine. I just uh, you know gave them the standard C for not doing anything. Hopefully they can climb the fourth. All right, and last but not least, the Washington Wizards. Their only move at the deadline was the aforementioned move with the Nets. They sent away Andrew Nicholson, who's signed for three more years and $6 million a year, and barely played for them. They sent Marcus Thornton, who's already been waived by the Nets, and their first-round pick this year, which is probably going to be in the low 20s, and they got Boyan Bogdanovich and Chris McCullough. So I gave them an A-. Boyan is exactly the player they need. Their bench is really bad, and Boyan will help with that. He can't do much besides score, but that's really all they need him to do, and he can do that effectively. And he can do that more effectively if his point guard is John Wall instead of his point guard being some combination of Isaiah Whitehead and Spencer Dinwiddie and for, like, five games, Jeremy Lin. They also got Chris McCullough, who, again, was behind Anthony Bennett in the Nets rotation this season, which says a lot. But he also showed some solid flashes last year, and having him sort of be a throw-in in this trade is a win for them, just because they probably would have been well-served to make the move for Boyan, even if McCullough was not part of the deal. But getting him as well is sort of the cherry on top of Sunday. Yeah, I gave this an A with two minuses, just because I felt like a, a B range was too low. The Wizards just strictly got better, so there's that. Boyan always goes off against the Celtics, and I'm sure John Wall was like, get me whatever player's going to murder the Celtics because I hate them. There's a lot of 2017 firsts being moved around at this deadline, which for how loaded the draft is, I'm a little, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't like criticize team for moving those picks, but I'm a little conflicted by how much hype I've heard for this draft and how many picks got moved around for not like an immense return for them. So I'm not gonna like count that against many teams, but it's just interesting that those are still generally on the table, even though the draft the draft is supposedly so good. So it's another wait and see thing. But yeah, the Wizards got better, so A minus minus. And we are done. So thanks so much for taking the time to listen. He is Jeremy Stevens. You can follow him on Twitter at Taco underscore H-A-U-S. You can also find his work on the hashtag basketball website. You can follow me on Twitter at N-B-A underscore Johnson. You can also find my work on the hashtag basketball website. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you might be listening to this podcast on. If you have any sort of feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you, whether it's things you think we're doing well or things you think we could do better. Any sort of feedback is appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 